8.09. So although Valentine's Day can come with excitement and expectations of flowers and chocolates, for some people the day is neither pleasant nor romantic, even invoking feelings of loneliness or stress. Today we've reached out to an expert for advice on how to handle these emotions if they come into play. Professor Alexandra Solomon is from the Department of Psychology at Northwestern University and is a licensed clinical psychologist. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on. And loneliness is something to be guarded against at at any time, but why might it be even more heightened on on Valentine's Day? I guess some of us can guess at that, but what's your expert view? Right. Well, I think that, you know, Valentine's Day is, is a really complicated holiday, and our attitudes of love tend to be highly romanticized, you know, highly fairy tale. So even for those of us who are in intimate relationships that feel good enough, that feel satisfying enough, on Valentine's Day, even those people can feel somehow like they're falling short, like they're not doing love the right way. And I think along with that, we have really prioritized um, being partnered over being single. And I think attitudes are changing, but very often people who are single add on to that relationship status a sense that somehow they aren't doing things the right way, that they are less than people who are in relationship. Yeah, so really we're, we're putting all of us, no matter what our marital or love life status is, in this potential for disappointment or depression or whatever else today. Um, Let's look at an interesting survey done here in Korea. A credit card company analyzed the differences between how women and men tend to prepare Valentine's presents. So men spend more on fancy restaurants and flowers. Women spend more on things like cosmetics at department stores. What do you think would be a a, a realistic explanation for the differences in in how men and women might approach spending on Valentine's Day? I think that finding is fascinating and not wholly unsurprising when we think about the fact that gender role expectations play out most powerfully and most rigidly around sex and dating and intimate relationships. And so we think about this expectation that men are providers or should be providers and women are caregivers or should be caregivers. Those are sort of the traditional roles for each sex. And so what we see with the idea of him taking her to dinner and providing a fancy meal and her Um, you know, taking care of him by providing, by giving him things to care for his skin or things he could wear. It really does just feel like those are extensions of what we've been told since we're little girls and little boys, you know, are the roles that we ought to be playing. Now, even though we are, those roles are changing and becoming more flexible, though that history and that legacy is still certainly there. Just a quick note here. We might ask, what about him taking him or her taking her? Uh, and and I, I kind of imagine that with all this talk of men and women doing things on Valentine's Day, there must be a significant portion of people from the LGBT community, if I can speak of such a thing as a community, uh, who would feel isolated and perhaps depressed on this kind of day as well. Well, you're right. It's, it's, it's the reason why it's so important that we create more and more inclusive love stories because everyone's love story deserves to be celebrated exactly as it is. And so I do think you're right that if somebody 
is um, loving um, in a same-sex relationship, but they don't have the support of their family, then Valentine's Day might really be, um, might trigger that sense of loneliness or feeling insecure um, because every, right, because people, you know, we want to have our love stories celebrated and affirmed, of, of course. Um, so, again, notwithstanding that, and, and hopefully we're able to talk about relationships in in a, in a broad sense without making anyone feel isolated during the the course of this conversation. But um, the the science of introverts is quite interesting. It was written by an American psychologist, Peter Hollins, and was actually one of the most loved books last year in Korea. Uh, More and more people are are finding books on being alone and lonely. What's your take on that trend? It, It seems to say something about society, the way we're viewing relationships. Well, exactly. I I don't know what the numbers look like in your country, but in the United States, um, we have the most people living alone and living as single people than we've ever had um, in our history. And people are entering, those who are entering marriages are entering later than ever. So there definitely is a shift to people either partnering later or, um, or not partnering at all. And so, um, you know, being alone and being lonely are not the same thing, but we are definitely seeing a global increase in loneliness, and we are starting to respond to loneliness as a public health risk. In fact, in the UK, they've appointed a minister of loneliness who is looking at how public policy can create more communal spaces, more communal living arrangements, because we are, by nature communal creatures. We do seek connection, and it doesn't necessarily need to be romantic connection, but to be lonely, to be aching for connection, does end up having health consequences. It can create both emotional and physical health consequences. So we, I think there's a really interesting conversation that we're starting to have about how communities can foster connection and support relationships and support family structures. Um, and especially, you know, in the age of technology, we, we, are, we are, perhaps this conversation is even all the more urgent, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because I, I, I know the Korean title of that book I just mentioned is I prefer being alone, but I don't want to be lonely. There is this, this friction between sometimes just enjoying your own company or, or having the freedom to do exactly what you want to do, but also not wanting to have those negative outcomes, uh, health, uh, psychological, whatever it may be. What what would your advice be? Could it be that you just do what uh, people have been saying for years? Make sure you have some me time at least a couple of times a week, let's say, and and fulfill that need. I love that. I love that. I think that, um, you know, even those who are in incredibly relational chapters of their lives, um, married, you know, partnered, raising children, these sort of times in our lives where there's a ton of connection, stepping away and really having some solitude helps us. It's kind of like um, filling up our own cups so that then when we do return to that more connected space, we can return with a sense of gratitude because we have also honored ourselves. We've sort of lit our own, you know, fire or tapped into what we as an individual are passionate about or excited about. And that can kind of help us bring a sense of gratitude to caregiving rather than feeling kind of depleted or at worst feeling like a martyr, right? That like you have to just take care of everybody else. It's a very depleted space to be in, certainly. I sense as well today that people are feeling 
I don't know about more than ever. I can't judge humanity for the history of humanity, but at least more than ever in my lifetime, disappointed with other human beings. They're very disappointed with them uh, on the basis of having different opinions, on the basis of uh, spreading hate on social media, jealousy, resentment, all kinds of negative uh, actions and, and feelings. But we do have to, I think, find a way to reclaim positive community for the reasons that you mentioned before, all those benefits associated with relationships and community. What do you think is a way to do that, to try to make sure you're surrounding yourself with, I don't know, about like-minded people, or at least people that are going to have a positive impact on you? I lo- yeah, I think what you're saying is, is really important that part of the risk of only connecting screen to screen is that we really do flatten out our experience of each other, right? It's far easier to hate somebody across a distance or somebody who's only, you know, appearing on our screen. It's, it's much harder to hate people up close. And so I think that is, um, I think the more time we spend sort of disconnected and behind our phones, the scarier and the more difficult it feels to be in these more organic, unfolding, loose, um, dynamic situations, human to human. So I, you know, I I teach a course at at Northwestern University, and one of the assignments my students need to do is they need to schedule a date, and they need to put their phones away and sit down with somebody and just be person to person and just engage in an hour of kind of meandering conversation or out on a walk together. And I think the the more we don't do that, the more those social muscles of ours begin to atrophy. And then connection does feel frightening. Connection does feel like it's harder than just being alone. So that's, um, I think it is like any other muscle. We need to kind of practice it and flex it. Professor Solomon, thank you for the great advice this morning. So good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Professor Alexandra Solomon from the Department of Psychology at Northwestern University. Perhaps you'd like to share your Valentine's Day message for us.